Gua sobro. Ay. <laughs> There's not a rule that you have to use the two subs. He's, he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the third sub-podcast presented by Macy Sports. We're back, episode 117, and it's a big one. All things Canada soccer, and to take you through that, I, I'm your co-host, Alexander Gungi Ruzik, joined as always by Samuel Rowan, and we've got a busy episode for you. Obviously, Canada soccer is the theme, more specifically the Canada men's national team, who continues their quest towards the World Cup, and at the back end of it, obviously, the women's national team as well continues to start slowly start preparing for their world cup journey of their own so lots to talk about today but before we do as usual sam how's it going this week since we last chatted obviously it was more of a white cap centric podcast didn't go as, as, as well as hope there but uh still holding up despite that i assume yeah overall still very bullish and positive on on canadian soccer generally and and that's what this podcast is about uh you know, a memorable two matches in Edmonton. I think, you know, some moments that, that won't be forgotten for for a very long time. Sam Atakubi diving into the snow. Uh, you know, just the whole the whole aura of the the ice teka and, and embracing that and really, I think, you know, growing as a program significantly because that that Mexico match had been circled on the calendar for for such a long time. You you talk about the importance of getting all three points in those crucial home matches and you know to to be fair and and also critical of Canada they they started out struggling a bit at home you know at BMO there wasn't that presence or, or feeling that you know they they really had it locked down and and even early on we can talk about it in Edmonton there was a little bit of nerves it, it didn't go great but the way the team really you know, just kind of blossomed over those two matches. The the place they find themselves in now with Jamaica doing them a favor and, you know, sitting at the top of the octo, definitely in the driver's seat to qualify for a World Cup spot. It's a seriously exciting time. So we're going to we're gonna dive into the matches specifically. We'll talk about some of the position battles, talk some tactics. As you mentioned, talk women's team as well there's there's less news but there's still some things to be excited about some things to get prepared for so uh super excited to dive into it and for anyone who's dropping and listening that you know normally only listen to the white cap stuff we will have some some full breakdown of uh their season coming up but obviously i mean no better time if you're if you're looking to dive into canadian soccer content uh probably good pretty good time to hop on the bandwagon right yeah i mean everything uh not a bad 2021 for, for Canada. I guess it's officially not over till the women play their two games here against Mexico this window. But when they do, it'll officially wrap up one heck of a year for both programs. I mean, if you look back at the start of 2021, so much uncertainty on, on the, the women's side. You had a brand new coach. Yeah. You hadn't played in a, in a full calendar year pretty much since you qualified for the Olympics. You know, you have all sorts of, yeah, you're heading into a, a strange Olympic year to come out on the other side with the gold medal. Never, never great. would have imagined it, but what a, what a great way to uh, get, the, get an era started. Exactly. And then on the men's side, same, similar situation. You hadn't played in a year. 
you have so many roster questions you get thrown into a lengthy world cup journey where you have to start out in the first rounds to see them go through all that undefeated then make a run at the gold cup to the semi-finals and then now to sit where they sit in the final round of, of, of world cup qualifiers the octo where they sit first through eight games out of 14 despite you know playing the u.s and mexico away mexico twice they sit first what a year for 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 both both programs and we'll we'll lead off with the 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 men's national team obviously that's the the topic that's fresh on our minds here obviously big pair of big games in edmonton as mentioned uh they took on costa rica and mexico they won both games and thanks to that they now sit first in the octo with four wins four draws for 16 points one ahead of the u.s in second two ahead of mexico in in third and Panama also has, is tied with Mexico in fourth. Uh, Canada leads the Octo in goals with 13 and eight games. They also have conceded the fewest tied with the U.S. with five. So they also that means they have the best goal difference. And they also, if I'm not mistaken, they have the best home record with 13 points from five games and uh, away record. It is fifth out of eight, so they're not perfect everywhere. They still got some work to do on the road, which is a bit of a foreshadow, as we'll mention, as they do have a good chunk of games on the road now. But pretty much everything is coming up Canada so far in the Octo. Yeah, and and we've seen how how unpredictable the Octo can be. You know that that one one result between Jamaica and the United States that easily could have gone Jamaica's way. Uh, Mexico struggling early on against some teams that they they probably weren't looking to drop points against then obviously the US you know certainly not upsetting Mexico because they were at home but I think it was a you know a disappointing result for the Mexicans we've seen Panama who a lot of people didn't rate going into this window now clearly the fourth best team in in the octo like I, I it doesn't feel like there's any debate about that anymore you've got you know you've got Costa Rica you've got some of these teams that that had a high expectations, much lower down the pecking order. So while it's chaotic, there's still a lot to figure out. And it's not like Canada is in first by a wide margin. There's, you know, two poor results and the script could really flip around. I mean, any of these top four teams could find themselves first or fourth within a window of matches. So uh, Canada's done everything they can so far about as, as well as you could have expected, but there's, there's still a lot of work left to be done. But uh, yeah, the, w- the way you broke everything down there, I mean, you know, are you scoring goals? Are you performing well at home? Do you find yourself top of the table? Check, check, check so far. So I uh, can't complain, really. Forget scoring goals. You're keeping them out of your net, yeah. too. That's even the scarier part. And Ooh. that's what a lot of people would have thought. You know, I think if you ask kind of, you know, Canada men's national team casuals or people that haven't spent a ton of time covering the team, it would be, oh, well, they're they don't have any good center backs. You know, you you look at where they play or you look at kind of overall reputation and you think, oh, well, that's not an Alfonso Davies. That's not a Kyle Lahren. But the the defense has been tremendous so far in this window. Well, I think we'll, we'll talk about it in a bit. I think, if anything, the defense has actually been the reason why Canada is where it is. If anything, they've struggled at times offensively, especially in the middle of the octa. I mean, yes, they have 13 goals, but we have to remember that they're boosted kind of by that four goal outburst against Pan- a tired Panama team at the end of the game, uh, three goals against a tired El Salvador team in the third game of a window as well. 
other than that, it's pretty much been one or two goal games. And the reason why they've been able to win those has been because of the defense. So I think we'll, we'll certainly give the defense a, a, their due praise, but it's been a, certainly an interesting start to the Octa. I mean, before we dive into Canada, just because you mentioned it, you have to give a shout out to Panama. Just looking at some of their results, I think personally I had them rated as the eighth or seventh best team in the Octo heading in. I have fully eaten my words on, on, on that one. I just looking back at the results so far, the Octo, they beat Jamaica. They, 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 they tied Mexico. They beat the U S they, they, yes, they lost to Canada, but then the two results, they got the last window, because if you think about it, had they lost both of the games the in this window, they'd be six, seven points off of the top three and, and it would be in the hunt for the playoffs. Instead, they were down Two nil against Honduras at Sandro, San Pedro Sula, as some will know, the horror you know stadium for a lot of teams in Concacaf. They win three two, and then they had to travel to or they, they they traveled home to Panama. They went down against El Salvador in the first minute, and then came back and won two to one. Those are just two massive wins, and thanks to that, Panama sits tied for 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 third. They can dream of qualifying automatically. Had they lost both of those games, for example, they would have been in, uh, I think it would have been fifth and they would have been a, well, a ways off of the top three. So just have to give a shout out to, to, to Panama just because they've been excellent. But as you mentioned, it's just been so unpredictable. And, and because that's it's made it so interesting to follow, I've been personally trying to track games and project, okay, if this happens, if this happens, I can't. It's really as cliche as it is. You have to take it one game at a time in the Octo. You can't look ahead to, oh, if this happens, if this happens. You just kind of have to see what each match day brings and then and then go from there. But uh, speaking of that, let's dive into to, to Canada's first you know game, and then we'll, we'll, we'll kind of go from there. That 1-0 win against Costa Rica. Looking back... Yes, it wasn't, you know, a vintage Canada win. It wasn't something that you'll you'll remember from this window, but uh, could have proved, you know, to be a very important win for Canada overall and, and really set the tone. So, I mean, well, let's dive into that one, first of all. Well, I mean, yeah, not, not a Mona Lisa, right? You, you saw the way that Costa Rica came into that match, a, a savvy veteran squad, not not really looking to push things forward, not looking to, you know, get caught out in the counter. They they definitely played that role of the the cautious road team. And that's a banana peel that, you know, Canada has slipped on many times before. Now, I, I mean, I think it also is a bit of a, a credit to Canada for, you know, th- they're at the stage now where, where teams come as visitors and they don't expect to just be able to dictate play and get a result. They they know that they're going to have to play cautiously if they if they want something out of the match. But I thought that that Canada overall did a really good job just sort of taking what was given to them, not panicking. Yes, the I mean we talked about it right off the top. The the start was a bit nervy, but playing in front of that many supporters for the first time, it's a it's a new environment too. I mean, most of the Canadian men's national team players would be familiar with BMO. Like that's, that's somewhere you've been before, somewhere you've trained, somewhere you, you have some reference points, right? And it, and it wasn't a huge crowd. But all of a sudden, I think, you know, Commonwealth is a bit of a different beast. And that's, that's definitely something to get used to. So the way they were able to survive that first 15, 20 minutes without, you know, a, a big error. Like I think back to uh, U.S., the U.S. match in the Gold Cup, right? And, you know, 
you you concede a, mo- a moment into the match and then you play really well the rest of the way but you have to sort of live with that early error like they're they've been able to avoid that kind of thing and you know obviously not to that extreme necessarily but just the way where they they were able to handle those opening moments and it was challenging but it didn't it didn't overwhelm them it didn't end up with the match getting away from them and then just kind of gradually it became a really professional performance and then you know clinical when they needed to be as well so i think you know less impressive overall than the mexico match but but impressive in different ways yeah and i mean i think the costa rica game is important highlight because i mean shout out to anyone who was listening that happened to be on our twitter spaces live pregame show that before that costa rica game and if not whenever there's a, a canada game make sure to check out twitter for that because we'll be doing more of those uh going forward but uh as we kind of mentioned heading into the Costa Rica game, you know, yes, you felt like Canada should win against Costa Rica. They're the favorites. You know, they beat them at the Gold Cup. This is a new Canada team. This is an older Costa Rica team. But like we mentioned, this Costa Rica team has been giving all sorts of, you know, fits to, to teams in the Octo. I think if, if I'm not heading into that Canada game, they had uh, every game they'd played and had been either a draw or decided by one goal either way. So obviously – games were a bit cagey and i'm just checking to make they, sure they've still last only game. they've still only conceded seven goals in the octo so far in eight like games. like the the defensive record is impressive the only problem is they've only scored six times so you know both sides of the coin there for costa rica yeah and even then they're that continued in their last game another a 2-1 win over honduras that means that all eight of their games in the octo have been decided by one goal and they've, they've played Mexico and the U.S. And, and, and whatnot. So it just gives you an idea of no matter who they played against, it was going to be a cagey game. So that's why it was so key that Canada avoided the, the metaphorical banana peel. They avoided slipping up at home. It was cold. The surface maybe wasn't the greatest, even though it wasn't as bad as, as, it, as it certainly made out to be. But there was just a lot of traps for Canada. And I think the most impressive part is not only that they won, but they also hardly seemed threatened. It wasn't like a 1-0 where you you sat back and thought, oh, Canada was lucky to escape with the 1-0. It was one where just at worst, even if Canada didn't score, it felt like Costa Rica could have played 360 minutes of soccer and they would have never no. scored. I mean, in not, 90 not minutes... A, not a chance they would have scored. I mean, in 90 minutes, they generated with 0.3 XG Costa Rica did against Canada. Like, that's, that's a, just a defensive masterclass, really. And, and if anything... Yes, if you look back at the goal, maybe, you know, maybe if Kaylor Navas is in, in, in instead of, uh, I think, who, who was it, Moreira or Alvarado, he catches that ball. You don't have that 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 spill to Jonathan David. But at the same time, Canada did also hit the crossbar off that that Calvo own goal chance. And then Tejan Buchanan nearly scored the goal of the Octo a few minutes before that goal happened. So either way, Canada was knocking on the door and was was creating something. It was just you have to like how professional it is because those are the tough games that I think are going to win you the octo, winning your home games, winning your home games against tough teams. That can't. If you look at Costa Rica, I mean, this is the ultimate form of respect, really, if you're Canada. Costa Rica came up with zero intention of going and winning that game because yeah. they knew if things opened up, kind of like they tried to at the Gold Cup, they'd get burned. They, they got burned at the Gold Cup, if you look back. I mean, Canada dominated them. They killed them in transition. 
you know, this game, they realize, okay, we're, we don't want to open ourselves up to that. Let's play deeper. Let's play basically what looked like a 4-5-1, which to be honest, doubled as a 4-6-0 at times because they were playing so deep. And, and they really tried to, to bunker down. So if you're Canada, the fact you came up against that, came through, got the win, that's the most important part. And I think uh, people were just weren't giving credit to Costa Rica, I feel, for, for uh, you know, how good of a team they've been this Octo. Maybe, yes, their offense has struggled, but they've been giving every team they play uh, struggles. So, yes, Canada, on paper, you would have loved to see Canada get a 3-0 win and, and leave comfortable, and, and there, there never have been a doubt, but... It just shows how good of a team Costa Rica has been. And then it was credit to them that they made it as much of a game as they did. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't have said it better. You know, speaking of that match specifically, let's let's talk a little bit about some of the some of the tactics and talking points because we did see a difference between the way Canada approached and uh, you know who they trotted out for Costa Rica versus who they, they started for Mexico. So one of the surprises maybe to to some people, I mean, Alex, you were you were there, you got to see them train. So some of these things were a little bit less of a surprise to you probably, but Liam Miller getting a start in a relatively big spot. I, you know, your thoughts on, on that decision, uh, his inclusion and just kind of how you thought he fared in the match. I think I liked his inclusion. He fared pretty well and then that game was honestly of Canada's front four might have been their their best attacker for most of the game I think that was a it was a good decision from from John Herdman I mean we'll kind of dive into it more in our tactical section uh the the issue with with Miller's deployment is that it just kind of fits into what I've started to deem as just throwing all the Avengers on the field of okay you're just throwing all your attackers but then you're not really thinking of how are we going to progress out of the back and how are you going to play the ball in the midfield, which to be fair, we have, I think I've started to identify a solution for, and we'll also talk about that in a bit, but I just think uh, Miller was, he from an individual standpoint, he did his job. He had some great chances. He looked lively. It's just unfortunate that he and the forwards were kind of deployed in a system that just didn't work for them. Uh, really. I think looking back, it'd be a bit frustrating. Looking back is just, you know, the decision, again, it was very similar to the Honduras game at the beginning where they drew 1-1, where they came up against a team who was playing, a, 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 you know, a, a huge mid-block to try to shut down Canada in the midfield. And Canada played way too many attackers, and then they're just kind of stuck stringing the ball between Steven Vittoria and Kamal Miller at the back, and then the Sam Adekubi and Richie Larea, and they're just like, there's nothing. There's, you know, there's Stephen Ustakio and Mark Anthony Kay. Uh, can't get yet separation in, in, in midfield and that for me was more the biggest issue tactically but I think Liam Miller he, he did a good job he did what he was asked to do it's just a bit unfortunate that the the system didn't necessarily uh, fit that so I think if you're if you can a one regret you'll have from the Costa Rica game is why didn't you have an extra body at the back or an extra body in midfield why did you go kind of what really was a 4-4-2 yes but ended up looking like a 4-2-4 just because Costa Rica put six bodies between Canada's four and their two. And then when they did that, it was just so hard for them to play through. And it really killed the, their, their, their attacking momentum a lot of times. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it can be... It's a difficult balance, right? Because it, in one sense, maybe it's it's good to play. It could be good to play direct against a team that's got that block. But then at the same time, when you're... Your team like Canada that has such quality and confidence on the ball, you can... You can afford to be a bit patient. You can afford to, you know, play some tiki taka, be, you know, 
exacting and then wait for that opportunity. And so it does feel in some respects like Canada still, you know, they're finding their best attacking identity and sort of having to reconcile with how good of a team they are and how to how to actually get the most out of that. Oh, that's exactly it. It's finding... Again, I'm not going to sit here and be like, it's tough for John Herman to, to look at his his attacking options. You got your Alfonso Davies, Kyle Lahren, Jonathan David, Tay John Buchanan, heck, Liam Miller, like we mentioned, has been scoring goals. You can even start to add guys like E.K. Ugbo to that mix. One guy we've, we're, we're not even talking about because he wasn't here, and I don't even want to imagine what that would have been like. You got your junior Hoylitz. You want to put all those guys out on the field at once, right? Like the, they, They've all proven to be crucial in their own way. I mean, Alfonso Davies is Alfonso Davies. Jonathan David's been scoring for fun. Kyle Lahren had a, just an absurd year for Canada and Besiktas. You got, and th- those are just the, those three. You, you, you're not talking about how good Liam Miller's been and Tejon Buchanan and E.K. Ugbo, Junior Hoylet. But you just can't put them all on the field at the same time. That's obviously one thing. And then the thing is, if you're going to put them out in the field, for them to be effective, you need to get them the ball. And I suppose, you know, there's nothing wrong with, say, I'm not going to sit here and say the 4-2-4 can't work. If, in certain situations... It'd be nice to have a if you're up in Davies and, and Buchanan on the wings. That would be lethal. But you cannot play it against a team like Costa Rica where they're going to clog up the midfield or, you know, a team against Honduras where they did. And I think that's, what, say, John Herdman's biggest misstep in those in those two games is that he just he went for that, that top-heavy attack, but then he didn't realize, okay, against these teams, they're going to starve, you know, they're going to starve you of the ball. And then at that point, it, it's not worth uh, having that so i think if you're canada you just have to find a balance between uh, it's nice to have all these attacking options but you kind of need midfielders to get them the ball and you need to be able to progress the ball and and not just have four attackers kind of in a line just stuck arms crossed waiting for the ball because if you look at the stats from that game it was all four of the attackers had pretty low uh, numbers of touches they didn't, they didn't really get involved in terms of passing it was all really just canada's you know, back six, and, and that's not good. You want your attackers to get involved and get touches, and against a deep block against Costa Rica, it's hard to do that in a four-two-four. So it was, it was just a bit of a of a tactical misstep, I found. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good way of breaking it down. You want to talk a little bit about? Let, let's move on to Mexico. Let's move on to to the big one, and you know, uh, we maybe haven't talked about it enough, but given the fact that you were there in person. Maybe try to you know describe for those of us who weren't there the the feeling the buzz around that match because I I feel like you know as much as much as Costa Rica was important there was a an entirely different sense of excitement around the the Mexico match. Yeah, I mean it was something special, really. I, the, the, it started a few days before. You could kind of be like, okay, you're here for the Mexico game. Everyone's talking about it. You're on the street, so. You know, you're talking to your Uber drivers. Oh, you're visiting. Oh, you're here for the, the soccer game. Yeah, everyone's here for the soccer game. Okay, you can you can start to feel the anticipation, and then it just it's it's funny how everything just came to a head all in one one and a half days. It was first the Monday, it started snowing, it started snowing a lot, <laughs> and then you know there was the whole training shenanigans, training getting canceled for both teams, Mexico's flight getting delayed. You start to realize, like, okay, this is this is proper Concacaf. Like, it's it's really starting to set in. Things are getting weird. You woke up on game day. It was one of the weirdest game days I've ever woken up to. Just because you walked outside 
and there was a foot of snow on the ground or at least it felt like it and it was freezing it was wind you're like how are they going to go and play a soccer game in about eight hours and then just the occasion itself people showed up i mean other than the fact that the weather in bc and alberta robbed a lot of people of the chance to go to the games and it's really unfortunate because they sold over 51k tickets i think or 50k and then it just ended up getting a hair over 44 due to some people couldn't leave abbotsford some people got stuck in the snow but then just the fact that that many people showed up in the cold to sing to be loud because it was loud in there that's the thing it wasn't just you know a snow game where everyone's just sitting there freezing 10k in the stands no this was sold you know this was a packed house people were screaming and that was just what was special about it how you know obviously there was the conditions and then everything surrounding that but also the the atmosphere and i think for anyone who was in the building that day they can attest to to, to how unique of a feeling it, it was to be surrounded by that many people in the cold just watching canada take on a giant conquer calf yeah i mean what a what an environment what a what a memorable match that was and you know what a return to canadian men's national team form it was for kyle laren you know just just able to live up to that occasion and so so different in in so many ways than you know kyle laren of three or four years ago just just so calm composed you know nonchalant like it's for him, it just it didn't even seem like it was a big event. Just you know, starting starting striker against Mexico, scores a brace, and it, it feels like his his pulse didn't change at all. And I just I find that remarkable given the way people were talking about Kyle Aaron just a couple of years ago. Really, yeah, no, Kyle Aaron is a, is a massive storyline from that game. Just his performance. You kind of had to feel for the guy just because he had such a strong 2021. Obviously, with all the goals he scored in the first part of qualifiers, the hat trick against Haiti, uh, you know, you, you go into the, the summer, he had such a good cold cup, and then it got cut short by an unfortunate injury. And then he started the octo so well, two goals, two games. Uh, and then he got hit with another, you know, another injury that kept him out for a while. You know, and then he comes back to the fold and he, he got hit with the stomach bug. Like, you just wonder, like, you know, what was going to happen with him? And then he was able to start this game and it was just magic. And I think the biggest thing with Kyle Laren is how much he's grown as a player. He's so much more complete. You can tell the difference at playing at Besiktas, but also that loan he, he did to Zulta Vargem back in, 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 in the Dutch, or no, in the Belgium division, sorry, two years ago. That also made a massive difference. And you can just see how much of a, of a complete player Kyle Aaron is. He's learned how to hold up the ball, how to play with his, his teammates, to, to not just be a focal point number nine, but be a player that can, you know, participate in games and not just fade out in, in, in weight of a goal. And you see that for, for Besiktas, Tusk. He's always consistently involved in, in the play. And I think that that Max game was a perfect example of that. I think if you, you know, it was, it's such an easy game for a striker to be frozen out of no pun intended but partly pun intended, just because of how cold it was. You don't want to be stuck there waiting with your arms crossed for to for things to happen. You wanted to go and, and grab the game by the scruff of its neck. And I think Kyle Lahren was an epitome of that, but also the Canadian team as a whole. If we're going to kind of talk about that, I'm sure you can attest to that from watching it on TV. It was nice to see Canada step up and want to take control of the game. Like, it's cold and we're, we've made it cold. Let's, let's control the game. Let's not 
you know, shy away from the, the conditions. And I think Laren was just an epitome of that. The fact that on the first goal, it was a rebound. Everyone on the Mexican team, they're just kind of crossing their hands. They're cold. They don't want anything to do with it. Laren's up and ready on his toes, gets the rebound, buries home. It was just that goal is an epitome of what this this game was for Can. It was it was yes, it was cold, but they wanted it to be cold, and and they 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 tried to they played through that, and it led to the victory ultimately. I mean, I think that building off the the performance, you know, despite the re- the result not going their way in the Gold Cup against Mexico, I, I think that that match was massive because that was the first time really that you know. Canada and Mexico were were trading punches back and forth in such a long time and it didn't feel like a it didn't feel like an unfair fight it didn't feel like Canada was just hoping to sneak in a lucky shot they were genuinely going toe to toe trading chances trading opportunities you know and and both with a healthy respect for one another and that really that carried over into this match and Canada had the the upper hand the, the psychological advantage in a lot of ways where that that wasn't, you know, a super enjoyable environment to play in, and uh, Canada definitely took advantage at moments. And, you know, over overall, Mexico still put in a real battle and and did not go away. And I like what I like what the Canadians had to say afterwards, where you know that that goal is is almost a good thing in a lot of ways, where you know you you're not going to earn these kinds of results without a fight and, and you have to know that a team like Mexico is not going to go away. Right. But really other than some late, you know, some late scrambles, some late uh, nervousness, it, it was such a complete performance by Canada. Uh, the way they went back and forth and, and really an entertaining match, kind of the, the opposite of, of Costa Rica in a lot of ways where there was a lot of transition play, a lot of back and forth, um, you know, I don't know if either of the two matches were, you know, masterpieces in terms of <laughs> in terms of the football played, but you know, it's CONCACAF. You're you're not necessarily expecting that. I, but it's just it's so great that Canada can play all these different types of matches that they, they weren't really capable of executing before. You have the, the professional clinical showing, you have the the little bit chaotic, we're gonna go toe to toe with a very talented team and they were capable of executing both those styles. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think you also just talking about Mexico. You also mentioned uh, you missed the Azteca game as well, the one-one of the uh, the Azteca. That it's just yeah, it's it's wild to think how Canada's become a no team. no fear anymore, whatsoever. zero fear, and and it was shown in this this Mexico game. I mean, I it's it's good they held on at the end. We we have to mention. Yeah there's certainly some lessons to be had there in terms of game management. Just, you know, even though you're up two nil, you don't want to go. I don't want to go into the whole two nil is the most dangerous lead in soccer. Cause it's all a bunch of, you know, hosh posh, everything, you know, there's every leads a dangerous lead. But I suppose, you can you. be lulled into a false sense of security for sure. Exactly. So especially, just, especially at home against a, against a, you know, a different team, literally anyone in the octo heck, even the U S you, you up to no yes you can you can settle back a bit but you know against mexico a team that just psychologically has owned you for so long you, you can't really you know heck i'll even i'll add the u.s into that discussion i'll throw them a bone but you know against teams like that you can't be you can't be sitting back and maybe you know canada it's it's good they held on because if they if they ended up drawing 2-2 it would have been 
catastrophic just for the fact they played 88 good minutes and blew it in five minutes of, of play. But those, if we're going to, the good thing about the win is we can focus on those 88 minutes of, of good play. And there was just so much to like there for, for Canada in terms of, it's just everything about it. I mean, we, we right for, cause I rewatched the game last week. Uh, just kind of you know for 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 my 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 Stephanie Stachio piece on 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 the newsletter, I'll shut that out at the end. But you know, it was just watching back, and it, you realize, wow, Canada really came out strong in the game. I mean, as as, as funny and cliche as it is, the whole Daniel Henry cleaning out Irving Lozano in the first thirty seconds is you know bush league and cliche as it was. It, it, was, it did it, set a tone. It yeah. made a massive difference. Like yeah. Lozano was on the floor for like three minutes, just too cold to get back up. And and then after that, Canada kind of had the, the the mental edge, and they kind of just held it until that 89th minute. And everything about the the, the game, you could tell that that Canada was up for it, and they, they wanted to, to to win. But actually, on that note, really kind of moving on to the next talking point, I'll throw it over to you first here, Sam. It kind of makes you wonder seeing all of these games because heading into it i saw a lot of it yes the weather is overblown it doesn't make a big difference you know they're canada's gonna end up hurting themselves more than 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 helping themselves but seeing these two games do you know do you feel looking back now that the weather was overblown or do you think canada might have been on to something so i think we have to throw it out who um it's interesting I, I i go back and forth on this right because I don't know whether the weather itself made that much of an impact, but I do feel what you spoke to, the the whole mystique, the buzz, the you know, the unique environment, the the lead up to the match, that creating of like this big sort of, you know, mythical moment, I think that helped provide Canada with sort of the motivation they needed to to get past this Mexico team. Like it's, you know, something that hasn't happened in over 15 years like you need a you need a special memorable moment in order to overcome that kind of history and so i think it just it created the mystique required to to kind of overcome an obstacle like that i don't i don't know how much the the cold actually played that much of a factor but i feel like it just kind of helped add the whole aura around the match and hey if it if it provided a one percent edge or a two percent edge then then great but yeah i guess i'd answer it that way but I wasn't yeah. there. In, I wasn't there in person. I didn't. I didn't freeze my ass off. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll defer to you for your your true analysis on that. Oh yeah, lucky guy. But I mean, hey, it, it's certainly a, a good question. It'll be one to have in the future because there's always been this talk over the years of why doesn't Canada use that advantage? Yeah. Why don't in whenever they play at home in November? Why is it always? in vancouver why is it in, in edmonton why is it in, in you know the arctic circle obviously they're not going to go up to the arctic circle you get you get the idea everyone's yeah. always calling like oh why don't you use play, your, play your it in play it in winnipeg in february see how they <laughs> like that right yeah <laughs> as cliche as it is and all of a sudden it makes you you make this a game like this just makes you wonder because there's just something about it. Like, like you say, obviously the mystique of the game like the legend of the ice teka you know well, it, was, it was already a legendary match before things even kicked off, right? Like, as you said, waking up that morning, seeing the snow on the ground, thinking there's there's Canada-Mexico tonight? Like, it's it's already oh. it already has legendary status. 
Yeah. Well, so it's going to certainly be something interesting to monitor because if you're like, like it's, it's not like Mexico players aren't used to the cold. Like if you look at them, you have to give them credit. Some of the guys were wearing, I don't think any of them were wearing short sleeves, but some of them were wearing shorts. Some of them didn't look that bothered by the cold. Like, you know, it's not, it's not like the, the, the Mexican players were frozen out, but at the same time, it has to, you know, it has to give a mental edge when, Herving Lozano gets his, is, is, you know, he gets rocked at the beginning of the game or Sam Adekubi is out here diving in the snowbanks. Like surely that has to, there, there is a bit of a psychological edge about it. I think while I would say maybe you can overdo the weather advantage, like, you know, at a certain point it becomes ineffective. I think it's certainly, we, we saw the difference that it could make for, for Canada. I think as long as you play on a playable field, which to, you know, the, to be fair to Commonwealth, it ended up being pretty. I thought the ball was going to be, I thought the field was going to be unplayable and frozen. It, it wasn't. So I think that's a good start. As long as you're, you're playing on a playable field, the weather is not like dangerously cold. I think why not lean to it? it? Clearly, it can it can make a bit of a psychological uh, difference. And it's, I mean, you can only tip your hat to John Herdman and his staff uh, on that. I mean, it sounded a bit cliche and over, you know, overused when he said all oh, these games are coming to Edmonton we're gonna freeze the Mexicans and you're like you know what is this and, and it ended up working so you can only you can only give credit to that I suppose you can make the argument that Canada also is good enough to beat uh, Mexico without freezing them in but at the same time in games like this you need to find every edge that you can that you can have and, and use it to your advantage and I guess speaking of edges that that teams have or at least that Canada has it kind of leads us to our tactical uh, section of, of stuff we kind of wanted to talk about some tactical notes uh, from these games because I mean there, there's a lot of them there we, we continue to learn a lot about this Canadian team tactically it seems like every window they try something new yeah, they're always even every in games are consistently uh, you know evolving and, and trying out things and, and moving pieces around so there's a lot that you know for all the talk about the weather and the, you know psychological at the end of the day, Canada did win the game on the field, and it's on the field where uh, some some key adjustments end up uh, paving the way for victory in, in both games, really. Yeah, I guess we could start in the in the midfield, really, the the engine of it all, and something we talked about in our, our live pre-shows, you know, Atiba Hutchinson pushing forward, eventually getting that uh, – caps record for for Canada but that was definitely a point of discussion is you know do you go two or three in the midfield if it's two who plays in that double pivot role and who has the most success there you know Steven Ostakio I I think we can we can speak to it because you've you've done a piece on him but he's obviously the the key talisman of the midfield and maybe the, the talisman of Canada more generally at this point like he's sort of what makes everything tick but who you're going to pair alongside him is still definitely up for debate mark anthony k i know has a soft spot in your heart and you you really like how he can play for canada and just more generally as a as a player overall but then atiba has brought certain attributes as well even though the first time ustakio and and tiba were paired up together it didn't go all that well so it was fantastic to see from that first match against Costa Rica where really the midfield was a challenge, but I think that had more to do with the way they set up overall than a particular player. 
Uh, but the way they were then able to thrive against Mexico and really, you know, assert themselves in, in a way you're not maybe used to was uh, was was awesome to see. So yeah, curious for your thoughts there and uh, who you like going forward and, and what you thought worked and what you thought didn't in that double pivot. Yeah, and I mean we'll, we'll certainly have a good discussion here because I'm always uh, obviously interested to hear what you have to say. But this this you know the Mexico game in particular really showed Canada a potential roadmap to how they could play in the future, I really think. Um, because we kind of mentioned it heading into the Costa Rica game. We didn't want to see a double pivot. We saw a double pivot and predictably it didn't work. Yeah. But then in Mexico, they also did a double pivot and it worked. And you can't help but, okay, you know, you have to study what was different between those two games. And yes, okay, one game Costa Rica, again, played with like six guys in midfield and Mexico didn't. But at the same time, you know, You'd be more scared of three, you know, Mexican midfielders of Hector Herrera, Adson Alvarez, or Belen Pineda than you would say, you know, any other team in, in, in CONCACAF. So that's not necessarily a fair excuse. And then it comes down to how Canada sets up. And I think that's, for me, the most interesting takeaway. I mean, I'm kind of writing about it at the moment in my camp review, which by the time uh, the listener will be listening to this, it will be out. So I'd say if you haven't read that already, you can kind of, no, I'll have written it out in written form if that's more your thing. But looking at this game, the double pivot, all of a sudden we saw a path towards which the double pivot could be useful. And I think that's massive for Canada because while I, I'm a big fan of midfield trios, personally, I think it, it gets, you know, it just makes so much sense. It gives you so much balance. It, it, make, it gets the most out of a team. As you've kind of seen with teams, and I'll use a team like the Vancouver Whitecaps as an example, just because we get to cover them and we've seen it up close. If you're able to strike the right balance in a midfield pivot, and then, you know, one that, that you're not getting overrun, one you're able to play through, it makes such a big difference just because you're able to put more bodies in attack. And then all of a sudden you're able to put some of the dangerous players that Canada has on the field. Because the one thing is, what are we learning about this Canadian team? They look better when they have wingbacks. Okay, they, they have wingbacks. So, what does that mean? You mean that means you have three at the back, which has also been been helping Canada defend. But all of a sudden, you have okay, you have five defenders in the park. Are you playing a five-three-two? That removes one of your your many talented forwards in, in in favor of a midfielder. Or you play a five-two-three, and you're removing one of your your, your talented midfielders in place of a forward. How do you strike that balance? Well, as we'll kind of mention, in the right three-four-three, three, all of a sudden it, it can work, and I think that is huge for for Canada because while midfield trios of I love you know I love the idea of seeing guys like Stefano Stacchio, Mark Anthony Kane, Jonathan Azorio continuing to play together in midfield trios because they've proven to be a very good uh, group together I think Atiba Hutchinson can be included in that heck David Weatherspoon looked uh, pretty good in his his start against Panama if you're able to get your most out of Canada in a double pivot of Stefano Stacchio and Atiba Hutchinson or Stefano Stacchio and Mark Anthony Kane that's good news because that means you're, you're getting an extra guy on the pitch like a Tejon Buchanan, like an Alfonso Davies. And that's massive because those are the kind of guys you need on the field uh, to, to attack. And I mean, we'll, we'll kind of dive into the reason why the, the double pivot is possible. And I think it comes down to one player and his name is Sam Adekubi, as, as ridiculous as that sounds, but it's true. I think if, if, if Canada can continue to strike that balance, the double pivot could actually all of a sudden make a lot of sense for them now. Well, I guess I'll, I'll just give my quick thoughts on sort of why 
the double pivot can work and why the double pivot can't. And then we'll see if it sort of mirrors your own analysis. I think it's just if you're in a a more stagnant formation, a, a shape that doesn't have as much interplay and guys kind of you know darting up and down in wide areas, then it can become very very stale. You know, you have targets up front, you have you know people out in the wing, and you don't. There isn't that chance for the two guys in midfield to sort of spread it around the same way. They don't have those same options available. But if you're you're able to get players in wide areas, players defensively coming up, all of a sudden that that opens passing lanes, that creates options. It's not you know, it's not like eighty five percent of the work all of a sudden goes on those two players to do all the distribution. And I think we've we've seen that with the Whitecaps when the when they've played you know a a Janio Bacal and a Leo Wusu and just hung them out to dry and said, here you go, do all the distribution and, and I hope it works out for you. It It's rarely successful, but when you, you provide a variety of attacking options, which is you know one of the benefits of a two-man midfield, you have more of those attacking options, then it kind of, you know, things, it can make the job a lot easier. And I do also think too that right now, having someone a little more, well-rounded than Mark Anthony K in the midfield, just a little, you know, higher, higher engine box to box. Someone like Atiba uh, maybe just fits that role a little bit better. I, I don't know how Mark Anthony K is again, one of these, there's a, a lot of attacking options and they, they all have their, their specified roles or their best. And it's, it's tough to fit every single one of them into their ideal spot. And uh, yeah, a, a guy like, like Mark Anthony K, I just I wonder if there's a great fit for him the way they're playing currently. But yeah, interested for for your thoughts a little more expanded on on why it works so much better in the in the Mexico match. I mean, I just felt like the the attitude towards the the game plan was was different, and, and therefore kind of that was reflected through those two midfielders. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean. Yeah, with Mark Anthony K, Jonathan Azorio also to an extent, Peck Sam, yeah. Samuel Piet, those three guys are just kind of they best suited uh, for for midfield trios. Piet's kind of that base of a of a, tri- a triangle with guys in front of him, you know, just because he's not offering as much going forward. Ditto with with K, whereas K kind of has the attributes of a of a, of a midfielder who can go uh, play in the double pivot. He just doesn't have the legs. And then yeah. same with Jonathan Azorio, where he doesn't really. Again, he doesn't really have the legs to, to play that. I think Atiba Hutchinson and, and Stefan Stacchio do on paper. I think if you if you go back, I think that's actually something we mentioned ahead of the the uh, the Honduras game. We mentioned, okay, yes, this on paper this is intriguing because Ustacchio and Hutchinson have the profile to play double pivot. Ultimately, it didn't work because of other reasons. I think the thing is with the trio, which is nice, is the support. Again, you don't need the legs to play in a trio. There's just so much support. You just continue with these lateral movements, and it's dominant. I think you can't deny the dominance a midfield trio offers when it's on its game. I think in that Mexico game at the, at the Azteca is a perfect example of that. Just because what what my favorite part of that game for Canada was that Ustachio and Kay had off nights by their standard, and Canada still dominated a midfield trio of, of, of Hector Herrera, Edson Alvarez, and, Hector, and Andres Guardado. That just shows how effective a midfield trio can be that on a day where you're two of your best midfielders are having off nights, you still dominate the bat- a midfield battle against a very, very good midfield. But the thing is with the, you know, if you're going to play a double pivot, you lose 
uh, that support, at least alongside you. But what I liked about Canada, and I'm, I guess that kind of pivots, Sam Adekugbe's role made a big, big difference because if you looked at Canada before, Sam Adekugbe wouldn't really start. Why? Because he has Alfonso Davies at that left wing back position. Fair enough, Alfonso Davies is the you know until until he gets voted out he's the current reigning world 11 left back you know you starting left back on Bayern Munich you can't you know of course you're going to start him but the thing is with Alfonso Davies who is your right wing back it's Richie Larea who again who's a very good player but him and Alfonso uh, Alfonso Davies are two very different uh, players Davies pushes up the field a lot whereas Larea is just a bit more defensively responsible that kind of staggered the pitch and I think as soon as uh, in the double pivot, as soon as you you the pitch gets staggered, you lose certain support. All of a sudden, you know, it's the double pivot gets stretched, and that's kind of like what you mentioned, Sam, which is a very good point. It, it can get easily get stretched, it can get broken, and then all of a sudden, it's useless. It's it's just two guys trying to, you know, it's it's the metaphorical toothpick trying to stop Niagara Falls kind of a, a metaphor. But what I liked a lot about Adekubi being played with Larea, they're two very very similarly you know, very similarly profiled players. They're both guys who love to get forward, but they're not like Davies in the sense where they're just constantly forward there. They, 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 they kind of have that. You can tell they're brought up as fullbacks. They have that more defensive, uh, you know, responsibility, but at the same time, you know, Sam Adekubi is a really, really good passer of the ball. They both dribble the ball. Well. And I think what I liked in that, in that Mexico game is the support that Adekubi and Larea provided to Hutchinson Nustakio and that's key because if there's a double pivot support is you still need to support them you just can't leave them on an island and say go for it and if you look back at the Costa Rica game that's unfortunately what happened Stefan Nustakio and Mark Anthony K were left on an island whereas if you look back at the Mexico game the support that Adekugbe and Larea provided was massive and I think for me that's the big change that 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 could be the difference maker for Canada it shows that Okay, if you're going to play double pivot, as long as you're playing Adekugbe and, and Larey, who are, I guess becoming quasi, you know, quasi midfielders, I think the the whole inverted triangle fullback thing, I think it's someone it's a Pep Guardiola f- philosophy that he's he's thrown out there. All of a sudden, it makes a bit more sense just because you're making sure they're not getting stretched out and hung to dry. And I think that is something to worth considering going forward if you're Canada. I was going to say now that you. You've laid that out so well. I, I think that that kind of identifies the the key difference, right? Is that Larea and Atakubi are, you know, midfielders masquerading as fullbacks, whereas Alfonso Davies is an attacker. He's a winger masquerading as a fullback. And yeah, if you're gonna have that, if you're gonna have that midfield pivot where they can be isolated and exposed, if you don't provide support, you want to sort of midfielder type mm-hmm. players to essentially create a four man midfield when you want it. It's, it's almost never a two man midfield, right? You, those guys are always there. Even if they're a step behind the line, they're a step in front of the line. They're always there in support. Davies is more like you give it to him and he goes without a Kubi and Larea, you're going to have quick, you're going to have one twos. You're going to have build up. They can kind of do a little bit of everything. And they're still going to have, as you said, they've, they've grown up as fullbacks especially someone like Sam Adekubi who can play in a back three if you need him to. He's really got that that defense first sort of mindset at times when he needs to. And so uh, I really like it. I mean, 
Sam's been playing terrific football at the at the club level for a while now. We we saw glimpses of it um, in that early qualification stage where he had some really good matches, but to see him perform on the on the big stage as well as he did is is awesome for Canada. And yeah, I think there's there's a lot of intriguing options moving forward. So uh, you know, we want to go somewhere else on the pitch because it's not the only spot where there's position battles and some some good things to discuss. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think just last point on that, that one. Also don't discount the importance of Kamal Miller yeah. in the back three, his, his passing ability, offering support, Alistair Johnston, who has proven to be a very good outside center back and also Steven Vittoria. So I just think, yeah, if you're Canada, uh, I think if you want to go with this double pivot, I think add a Kugby Larea and then that back three is going to be your key to making it work. So I just, you know, I think you highlighted, you laid it out perfectly describing Alfonso Davies versus add a Kugby and Larea. So I think that's, that's the kind of the way to put it and the way I'd consider it. But like you mentioned, okay, we figured out, uh, you know, Canada, how they should play at the back. They still have a lot of forwards to, to, to try and shoehorn in there. And one big discussion we're starting to see Kyle Laren versus Jonathan David. It's, it's such a tough discussion. I mean, we've seen them play together. We've seen them come off for each other. And I mean, you know, there's obviously still a path where they play together, but John Herdman went for a strategy where he played Jonathan David the first game, played Kyle Aaron the second game. They each scored. It worked perfectly, if you think about it. They each scored the winning goals and, and did their jobs. But how we, you know, how do we even tackle this sort of debate if you can't? If, it, if it's a big game tomorrow and you have to choose Kyle Lern or Jonathan David, I don't know. And because of that, it's going to be, it's such an interesting part of the battle to monitor that, that, that battle between two strikers who just, you know, can they work together? Are they going to compete versus each other? It's a hard question for Canada. I mean, I guess right now, sort of, you know, gunned my head for lack of a better term, I, I really like within the a front three, the idea of Buchanan and Davies and then a lone striker up front. And I feel like Kyle Laren just fits in that system better than Jonathan David. Would it seems yeah, just having to make that decision feels almost impossible because you don't want to leave either of the guys out of the lineup. But I feel like if I was if there was an important match for Canada to play today and that would be the front three I would be running with. But that doesn't necessarily um, do a lot to explain who should be the pick long-term or, or how you, you get them to play together at the same time. I don't know if I have a great answer to that. But I think just, yeah, if you're if you're really concerned with getting kind of your most explosive front three as a whole on the pitch, that's where I would go right now. Yeah, I mean if you lay it out, it's, it's as tough as a decision. On one hand, you got Laren, Canada's new all-time tied leading T score. He scored like 13 goals this year for Canada or something like that. He leads World Cup qualifiers. On the other hand, you have Jonathan David, who leads a league in scoring with Lionel Messi, Neymar, Mbappe, yada, yada, yada. He's the second highest uh, top five league score after Robert Lewandowski. It's it's a hard battle. But, I think personally, But it's worth noting the the national team form hasn't been the same as the as the club team form for for whatever reason like it's been a bit of a he's he's been very i mean you know a, a low standard for david is still an incredibly high standard for basically any striker that canada's ever had 
other than Kyle Larratt. But uh, it, it hasn't been as, you know, as just off the charts as it's been in Liga. Uh, yeah, no. It sounds ridiculous saying it, but you know what yeah, I mean. David, David only, he's only second in the Octo in scoring yeah, behind exactly. Kyle Larratt, funnily enough. <laughs> so just to give you an idea. Yeah. No, it's, it's you're right in the sense that there's more for Canada. He's been good for Canada because I think some maybe have been almost unfair saying, oh, like, what is wrong? Like, he's not translating his form. And I think I kind of, that's the reason why I did, again, another article on the newsletter, a lot of love for the newsletter, that profile I kind of did on yeah. Jonathan David to, to see what has been going on for him with it's, Canada. It's more about how Canada plays, at least as far as I'm concerned, than about how David's been playing. It's just, it's just a fit thing. Yeah, and I think Personally, I think you get two different things with both. I think if anything, if if you're Canada and you're playing a team where if you're playing a Costa Rica, I want David. I think just his his hold up play is obscene. If you watch back the clips, just some of the passes he makes on a regular basis, he passes like a number ten. And the nice thing is when you have David on the pitch, it gives you a little more link to the midfield. It gives you a little more support. So I think if you're playing a Costa Rica, you're playing just teams where you're, you're going to need to possess the ball a little more and, and, and play through. I want David on the pitch, but if you're with the nice thing was with Laren, he can stretch. He's, you know, he's not, he's not a true number nine. I think that's one thing. The reason why he's had so much success this year is that Canada's realized he's not a number nine, but he's also more of a number nine than, than Jonathan David is. He play he likes, he can lead the line. Uh, he pushes up a little more. He, he, he operates those spaces. That's key against a team like Mexico. Like we saw where, He'll push defenders back and he'll he'll bully them a bit more. So I think ultimately one thing I am worth interested in exploring. We mentioned that front three, right? I would like to see Kyle Laren play that left wing inverted forward role that he plays for Besiktas off of Jonathan David with okay. Alfonso Davies on the right as an option. Yes, that leaves Tejan Buchanan on the bench, but I think that could, you know, Sam Adekubi will overlap a lot. So, uh, someone so has to be left on the bench. Like it's it's yeah, inevitability, it's a, right? It's inevitability. At least there, Sam Adekubi and Richie Larea would overlap a lot, allowing Davies and Laren to cut in. I think it could be something worth exploring just because Davies used to play that inverted winger role for the Whitecaps. He knows it. He, or, and Laren plays that inverted forward role for Besiktas. Could be worth exploring. But there, there's options too. If you're you're Herdman, you can play around and you can try, you know, like I said, like Laren in that inverted forward role. You can play Davies' as inverted forward. You could play Tejon Buchanan, Liam Miller, and Alfonso Davies in a front three if you want to, if you're playing a team where they're going to play a high line, you want to torch them in behind because, you know, Miller and Buchanan are speedsters. And so obviously we know how fast Davies is. I think with Canada, if they, if they can realize some of the options they have with their front three, they can have a lot of uh, fun going forward. Heck, now with E.K. Ubo, a true number nine, you can, in certain cases, you can just rock him up front and, and, and play two traditional wingers off of him. So I think there's options. I'd like to see Canada play around with that, but, uh, Ultimately, like we said, they're, they're, it's just nice to sit there and have a choice. It's not just you're not just married to an idea, and that's that's it. That's it for Canada. And if anything, what we've learned tactically over the course of 2021 is, you know, what's what's written on the team sheet for Canada doesn't always end up being how they play in reality. So it's really just comes down to okay, if you want to get Kyle Aaron and, and Jonathan David on the pitch together at the same time, then you have to figure out what that dynamic is going to be and you know what spaces they're going to inhabit when when the other one's in a different space right so 
Um, I I like I like your idea. Uh, you know, it's just how how do all the pieces fit together? And it feels like for whatever reason with David, it just hasn't you haven't gotten that a hundred percent perfect fit yet. But uh, you know, if you're able to be top of the octo in in the driver's seat and still have some tweaks you can make to get more out of your squad, that's certainly a very encouraging position. Hey guys, Alex here. We're just taking a quick break from the show to share a word from our friends over at Macy's Sports in North Vancouver, located near the Ironworkers Bridge. Make sure to head over to Macy's Sports for all of your sporting goods needs, be it field hockey, soccer, rugby, you name it, they have it. So make sure to head out over there as the, the sporting seasons continue to ramp up here. If you need some some of the new and, and best equipment, they've got you covered if you mention that you're a third sub-listener, they will get, pass you a nice little discount. So it gives you all the more reason to head over and support Macy Sports the way they continue to support local and, and, and sport in this city. So make sure to, to check them out. And on that note, we'll get right back to the show. And I think that'll be huge. Uh, the one, that's one advantage that Canada will have. Say, knock on wood, they do end up making a World Cup. Just that they have that depth, that adaptability to to change to teams. I think it's 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 going to make. I think that's if they can get their strongest squad for a Gold Cup in 2023, it's going to be. A, they also have a good shot of of, of doing well there. But uh, last one for us, kind of tactically, it has to be asked because, funnily enough. For all of the talk about Alfonso Davies, this being his homecoming, you know, wanting to, to give the crowd a bang, he had two very quiet games. And, you know, that's fine. Alfonso Davies, you know, he's human. He's, he's allowed to have quiet games or games where he's maybe not at his, his best. Despite that, I think, if anything, the bigger surprise is that Canada had that and they still won against two very good teams. But because of all that, it opens up a question. What is Alfonso Davies' best role for Canada? What to do with Alfonso Davies if you're Canada? We just kind of talked about it. I guess theoretically on paper, his best position is a wingback. We, we've kind of always talked about that. He goes up the pitch a lot. He offers you defensive support. But if Canada are going to keep playing a double pivot, he doesn't really work in that system. But, uh, you know, if you're going to play if you're going to play him in a, in a three-man midfield with him at left wingback, you lose out of Kugby if you – you know, and obviously if you're choosing between Davies and Atacubi, you're picking Davies, but based on, on what you're seeing, you'd like to keep Atacubi in there. And then if you play Davies up front, it can work against some teams like it did against Panama, but then you can have games like Costa Rica where everything sticks to him. So ultimately, if you're Herdman, there's no easy answer. I think Alfon- you're going to put Alfonso Davies on the pitch no matter when he's healthy. You know, you're putting him on the pitch somewhere. But where is that best position for, for Canada right now? We, it's hard to know. Yeah, well, so I didn't, I didn't like Davies starting as a forward against Costa Rica because I feel like that's sort of against. I think against in teams are going to sit back against you or teams just have overall less talent. I feel like that's the opportunity where you can put him at the wing back position because you don't you don't have to have that midfield support all the time he's going to provide it some of the time but if he's flying up the pitch and and leaves a hole at the back you're not as concerned about it and it, it's probably something where he can go and create a goal on his own like he does week in week out for Bayern right you see him dart up the pitch and you know take on two defenders 
play a ball back across the box and you know there's one of the best strikers in the world to get on the end of it. I think that in those matches you can play him further back and just let him basically, you know, Fonzie, do whatever you like. We know that you can run and get back defensively if you need to. But then when you're playing a Mexico, um, when you're playing a U.S., you know, um, just just a team with a lot of quality, then you maybe play him as a winger in, in a front three further up the pitch. That's definitely that's how I see it. Um, obviously, there's there's more intricacy than that within the tactical game plan for each, each match. But uh, I think that kind of explains why, to some extent at least, it, it didn't really work so well against against Costa Rica. And I, I think maybe there was, there was more there to be had, but I, I felt like overall it was a, a better match for him against Mexico. Yeah, no, I think I'd echo all of those sentiments. I think you see it for Bayern if you watch any of their games. Yeah. I don't think there's any team in the world they play where they're not the Bayern isn't the team. <laughs> yeah, so it's, like, it's kind of a weird scenario because they don't play in matches where they're where they're the counterattacking. No, even even against Barcelona, if I think about it, when I, <laughs> a few few months ago, they're there pinning Barcelona yeah. into their half. Alfonso Davies is playing, so it's a great point. I think so it's, it's an adjustment best... process for him when he has to play any other kind of match, or maybe. For him, it's tough because he he thinks of how he plays for Canada very differently. But now that Canada's improved substantially, maybe they can play a little bit more like Bayern at times. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's a good point. It's just it depends on the team you're playing. Against Costa Rica, he should have made runs from deeper positions just because the thing is he attracts bodies no matter where he is on the pitch. And when you're in, when you're, he's playing in a high line, or when you're playing a team with a high line, I think in that Panama game where he was absolutely torching guys as a, in a striker position, that's perfect. Just because that, that's so stressful for defenders yeah. to think, I take one half step wrong. Oh my gosh, he could run right past me and that's it. It's over. Alfonso Davies is going to cook yeah. me even if he is 10 feet in front of me. Whereas, you know, when you're, you're playing in a deeper block like Costa Rica, they were almost probably laughing when you're like, oh, Alfonso Davies is here. He has no chance to build up his speed. I'll just grab him and rugby tackle him and and, and kill his momentum. And they did that so well. Obviously not like rugby tackle. That's an exaggeration. But you get an oh, idea. But, they were so yeah. close to him every time he got the ball. Just a shirt tug here, uh, something Cre- there, Create as much traffic, as much trash as possible for him to sift through, right? Exactly. And I think the thing is with Alfonso Davies is what we've learned from him from his time at Bayern, the time at Whitecaps. He's always at his best when he's running from a deeper position. And against a team with the lower block, that means from left back. From a team against a higher block, that can be as a forward just because he's getting that chance to build his legs and then run in behind. But I just think, yeah, up front against teams with lower blocks, until he improves his decision-making, it just doesn't work. Because the thing is, he has the decision-making in him. If you watch some of his highlights... There are clips where he just cuts and he plays like a number 10. He plays these passes where you wonder, you know, oh, he could, he could. Personally, I'll, I'll say right now, I think in five to 10 years, we could see, uh, I think, a David Alaba esque progression from him at Bayern. Where <laughs> it was becomes... the guy I had on the tip of my tongue, right? I mean, exactly. I mean I'm sure we're not the only people thinking it, but oh, it's no. worth I mentioning. Think, I think he, if you look at him, Davies could be such a good number eight if he improves his. His deci- I, I looked at it a bit actually on Twitter if, before this camp. I'm like, this guy is going to be a number eight one day. And, you know, he, and the thing is, for now with Canada, the problem, it just the ball sticks to him. And sometimes that's a good thing when you're running from deep. Yeah, you, you can kind of take guys on. But when you, you're already, you can't build up 
the speed like, that he did up front. You saw it against Costa Rica. It just sticks to him in not in a good way. So I think for Canada, I think if you're John Herdman, you just have to realize the opponent you're against and the best way to get Davies's best attributes because an informed Davies, it helps Canada no matter what. And I think as long as you can find uh, the, the nice thing that we've learned this year, because the problem was before, Canada would try to play him deep in the wrong games just because they didn't have the defense. I think in that Haiti game back in 2019 that haunts everyone, that was a perfect game to play Alfonso Davies at left wing back like they do now. The problem was back at the time, their back four would have been, if what was it? It was like Davies, Cornelius, like Vittoria, and Godinho. Like, that's they, not and they, just, they didn't have the system at that time to get the most out of him. Like they, they weren't complex enough to really maximize someone from a fullback position the, the way they, they're set up now. Exactly. And is, so I think now it's just, it's just recognizing the opponent and the best way to get it out. And the, the nice thing is you have this flexibility, but uh, I think ultimately to round up this tactical talk and this will kind of go, I guess, into our, our, our next talking point, we're not going to go sit down here and go position by position like we have in past shows for, for best 11. But I think if you're looking now at Canada's best 11, what this does show is that when you're playing your quote unquote, your big two, we'll, we'll call them the big two. You're playing Mexico. You're playing us. I think what this camp shows is Sam Atacubi is a starter. He should yeah. be a starter. He was a starter against the U S earlier this year. He did great. He was a starter here against Mexico. He did great. You can play Alfonso Davies a bit further forward. He's dangerous. I can't think of the last time Sam Atacubi had an off showing for Canada. Like every match he's played in 2021 for Canada has been notably good i know that's that's and not a very articulate way of describing his performance it's, but it's, it, it works. he's he's always stood out whenever he's he's had a start for canada this year and now you got you, you don't have the excuse you had before we're all he's playing in a lower division or he's playing with norway norway you know, norway's have, a good league people are is. sleeping on the the norwegian but now he plays on the second best team in the turkish league right now you know you, you you've lost that excuse i think it shows that you have to play him against big teams but what i think we learned is that yeah like you have to play alfonso deeper if it means taking off sam adekugby against deeper against teams where you know they're gonna sit back that that means it but uh you know i think that, that what this camp ultimately all this to take away sam adekugby more of him and uh yeah that's that's pretty much all i have to say about that yeah and it probably i mean big picture if we're talking kind of best 11 it leaves an azorio uh mark anthony k on the outside looking in those guys and i think those guys are there and available if you need to change something up in the 60th 65th minute you need a different element in the midfield uh they're they're great options but they're they're just sort of victims of the system right now that that number 10 attacking midfielder type that doesn't necessarily have the same box-to-box legs there just isn't a great fit unfortunately yeah so i think ultimately to answer the best 11 question, I'll use the U.S. game in January as the hypothetical. Assuming everyone is fit, because obviously yeah. that's a whole other question with the, the January camp, and we'll get to that. I think the nice thing is with Candy, you figured out a lot. You know, Borean's your guy in goal. That's that's fine. He's, he's doing his job. He, he's, he's working with the system. You, you, your back three is, is Johnston, Vittoria, Miller. No discussion Great there. back three. They're doing well. Kamal Miller stepped up massively. Steven Vittoria is very underrated. Johnston, we know that. 
I think you're put, I think this camp, what we learned is that Sam Adekugbe should be in there along with Richie Larea. Those two should be locks. I think midfield, you got Stefan Ustakio, Atiba Hutchinson, and then the front three, it's Alfonso Davies, obviously for sure. And, and then there you decide, okay, which of Laren, David Buchanan, are you putting in? Are you putting Laren in at the left? Davies right, David up top. Are you playing Laren, Davies, Buchanan? Are you playing? You, heck, David used to play as a right wing. You can always put Davies, Laren, David in that order too. So I think ultimately, though, that I think if you're if you're if you're going into a big game, that should be the the the, the Canadian eleven. I think that's what we learned from yeah. from this camp. And uh, the good news is you you look down the bench. Okay, fiftieth minute, you need a change. Oh, you got Jonathan Azor. You got Mark Anthony K. You got you know, you, you got one of Tejan Buchanan, Laren, or David. You got EK Ugbo. You got Liam Miller. It, it's a nice, you know, it's nice to have that sort of depth. Absolutely. Uh, hard hard to complain for sure if you're John Herdman. Uh, you mentioned EK Ugbo. Just rapid fire here. I mean, he didn't get that many minutes, but cup of coffee against Costa Rica. Only had four touches, but but a couple flashes on the ball. Uh, exciting to see, but just, yeah, your, your thoughts having seen him in person just a little bit. Uh, Lots to look forward to, right? He's a proper number nine. I think he's Canada's best number nine already, just in terms of proper number nine. That's yeah. not to say he's the best striker, just because Laren and David aren't number nines. We, we always forget that, even though Laren looks like a number nine, he's not a number nine. David scores like a number nine, he's not a number nine. Ugbo, he just shows to have all the attributes, his hold-up play, his touch. He was only on the field for a, a short amount of time, but he just showed his, his instincts and there's a lot to be excited about with him there for sure. So I'm, I'm excited to see if he can get more minutes with Genk right now. It's been a bit of a tough sledding, even in his return from Canada, he still hasn't found a starting role yet. And I mean, he hasn't all year. So the fact that he scored four goals, despite that is, is a credit to him, but hopefully he can just get, start getting those minutes for, for, for Genk. Cause if he does, I think he could be a, a big part of this Canadian team going forward. So I put this in the notes, and we can just sort of answer this rapid-fire style here. But a question I had is, who's the biggest candidate to be a surprise contributor to this team going forwards? And, you know, I, we've talked about the, the starting lineups are relatively unsurprising, I think. But I'm going to throw this out there. Liam Miller or Junior Hoylett, you know, off the bench as an attacking option. Who has a bigger impact early in 2022 for this men's national team well it's interesting i mean to, for your question we'll, we'll phrase it as who is the next salmon adekukbe on this yeah team who who's on the rise right and and, and the role potentially grows because they they play so well in a, in a series of matches so i mean to answer your first question i think uh well it's going to be interesting to see what happens with junior hoylet yeah. now just because he's missed it after that September camp, his stock was very high. Like I, I was like, for me, he was a lock in my starting 11. He was, after... fen- he was phenomenal for a good portion of the, the summer. And like, I, I, my, my faith was completely reinvigorated in, in junior highlight, the way he played for Canada. And my faith hasn't in him hasn't gone away. Yeah. It's just all of a sudden in these two camps, since he's gone, the system's adjusted. And do you see him? I guess he, I suppose I could add him to those options in that front three we kind of talked about but yeah it's it's hard for for junior oil and i think Lee, even a guy like liam miller what he's done since junior oil last played for canada in september liam miller just has almost climbed ahead of him just with his form with and that's more of a testament to again none of this is a knock to 
to Hoyland. It's just he's every game he misses with how good Canada that goes to anyone really. Any look at Scott Kennedy. You Think you can't it, you can't afford to miss matches. This this Canadian team's ruthless right now in terms of earning a spot. Because if you think about it, in June, we were sitting there thinking, like, Scott Candy, he's the next guy for Canada. 10, 15 years going forward. Come on, Miller and Stephen Vittori, Alistair Johnson. They've stepped up big. And, I mean, again, like, I don't get me wrong. I think Scott Candy is going to play a big future. It's not to be overreactionary. I think, especially if he and Jans Regenberg can find a way to get promoted to the Bundesliga. You're not ignoring a guy playing in the Bundesliga. But just shows, like, four months ago, we we're saying, oh, this guy's a lock. And then all of a sudden he gets injured. He had one bad game against the U.S. All of a sudden your, your name falls. So to add to your point, you, you can't only miss games. You can't have a, 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 a subpar showing just because it, you, your spot will drop. So it's going to be interesting to, to see. As for a next best candidate to be a surprise contributor going forward, that is a very, very tough question. Um, I'm just trying to think of positions. I think it would have to be a forward, funnily yeah. enough, just because everything's so settled. At the back, I think maybe throw a name when Scott Candy's healthy again in January, just because Kamal Miller might be a bit out of season. This could be Kennedy's door to get back in. It sounds he just played his first game back after his two month injury. So I'll I'll throw out Kennedy's name at the back. I like that. I like that. And then up front, since you said Liam Miller, I'll go EK Ugbo just because I'll 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 give him the Stefan Ustakio arc where. If you think about it, Ustachio committed to Canada at the beginning of 2019. It took two years for him to become a locked-in contributor for Canada. Obviously, injury and the pandemic are a reason for that. But I could see, you know, E.K. Ugbo, maybe uh, in a few months, he ends up playing a lot bigger role than than, than he is now. And I think he could be a, a very surprising contributor. So I'll, I'll throw Scott Candy and E.K. Ugbo. All right. Well, before we before we talk some women's team here, we'll look a little bit ahead. Just take a peek. It's it's still a while away, but the the next window in January, you've got some some big matchups, two big road matchups in hostile environments. You get Honduras on the road, USA at home, and then El Salvador on the road. I mean, we won't spend too much time because we will preview this in full. But uh, just impressions of that window overall. I think I'll throw this out there. Those are tough environments. Like despite Canada's overall success, I think if you're if you're able to get three points in one of those matches, you're able to get a draw in the other. That would be a massive haul of points. And then you try to take care of business at home, right? Because you know, yes, okay, Honduras and El Salvador are down at the bottom of the table, but uh, those are not easy places to play by any means. Funnily enough, I'm going to – I said that game in Honduras is a must win. Hmm. It's as wild as that Interesting. is. Interesting. Okay. There's a few reasons why. I think, first of all, Honduras' form. Very Canada, very poor. Very poor. So that's reason number one. Reason number two, Honduras' home form. The U.S. beating them there. A few other teams, I think, beating them there. Panama coming back from down 2-0 to beat them there. If you're Canada, you see that? You want That's reason number two. Reason number three, Honduras stole two points off of Canada at home. You want to get those points back. Yeah. This is a chance to do that. And then uh, reason number four, this is interesting. If Canada wins against Honduras, Honduras will actually be un- mathematically unable to catch Canada in the octo. So this is a chance to eliminate one name uh, that gets you one name closer to, to, to qualifying for the World Cup. So I think just because of all those factors, you have to beat Honduras. And then against the U.S. at home, 
I mean, obviously you, you do want to, you, you do want to win that one, obviously, but I think that's one where you can actually afford a draw as, as wild as that sounds. And then in the, in the El Salvador game, the, the nice thing is, yes, it's going to be tough to travel, but Canada is way deeper than a lot of teams. And as we've kind of learned this, these so far the, through the first three windows, the deeper teams tend to do better in the, 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 the third games, just because they have the depth to, to overcome travel injuries, fatigue, uh, yeah, no, they'll want to they'll want to do well in in this window. So I think there's just three massive games for Canada. I think really the first the first one and the last one are the big ones. Funnily enough, even though they're the road games, so I'm kind of on the opposite. Yeah, you you theoretically want to win your game at home, but you're playing the U.S. If you drop points to them, you're not safe. You know, you're not keeping them alive in the race. The U.S. is probably going to finish in the top four, but if you're dropping points to El Salvador. You're putting them right back into the race. You're you're putting them right, you know, right back into the thick of the fight. So that's kind of where 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 I stand on that. But uh, one other talking point we have to mention for for Canada in particular, the timing of this January window, January twenty seventh uh, to 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 the beginning of February. That's peak off season for for MLS teams, and that that, that could play a bit of a, a bit of a role for for Canada. So it's something to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, I think I guess what I'm trying to outline there is that I'm still trying to I don't want to say not set the expectations too high, but like having put themselves in a good position at, at this juncture in the octo, I think that you just you still go into these these away environments with like a realistic mindset where obviously you're there to take all three points, but you know that nothing's going to be given to you. And if you have to to get yourself into a match where you're you're down a goal early and you have to grind out a draw, then that's what you do do in order to just kind of hold your position and, and get to that next match. So I don't know, that's my thought process there. But you know, with all the positives we talked about lineup wise, uh, you know, you also want to see Canada go in there and, and smash it and take all nine points, right? Well, that's it. They do that. They're pretty much in the World Cup, so obviously you want to see them do that, but. But you can think... you can be there's four spots to be had there's three automatic spots to be had you can be patient you you want those nine points you want to secure it right away but there, there's multiple routes to get there I guess is what I'm what I'm trying to drive at oh yeah no for sure I think it's 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 you have to be tempered I think personally five points is a good window yeah. if you're being realistic just because the formula is there you want to stick to it win your games at home draw draw your games on the road so far canada has won all but one game on the road they've drawn all of them away and and if anything the nice thing is with how results around them have gone considering they sit first they don't have to to to, to make up those two points in, in honduras yeah. that that they lost at the first game so like the fine. way they, they performed against mexico and the u.s has made up for that faltering early on Basically, if you look at their last six games, four of them on the road, two at home, if they win all their games at home and draw them away, they'll give them 10 points, gets them up to 26. That's well above the, the 20, you know, 21 that's that's being regarded as the line for 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 the, the top four and then the 24 or so point mark that is regarded as the line to get in the top three. There you go. It perfect. It sets it. Up. I just think, yeah, if you're Canada, just looking at this window compared to the next window, this is a window where you want to get ahead of just because that, that, that next window is going to be even more brutal. This is just a taste of, of what's to come because the, the next window is, if I'm not mistaken, it's Costa Rica away 
and then it's Jamaica home and then Panama way, which somehow blows the Honduras away, Canada home, El Salvador away more out of the water in terms of travel. Like it's somehow worse and you're playing three, you're playing, you know, obviously the U S is a good team, but you know, Panama and, and, and Costa Rica are significantly better. It appears in El Salvador and Honduras, that last window is going to be a doozy. So I think if you're Canada, you have to go all, all out in this window just because you don't want to head into that last window needing like two wins, for example, to, 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 to make it. you want to have, okay, we can, we can get out of here with two win, a win and, th- and two draws or something like that. You're happy. So I think if, if you're Canada, this, this January window presents a big opportunity. All right. Well, any final thoughts before we, we talk a little women's national team here and then wrap up the pod. Um, that was pretty comprehensive, I think, on, on the men. And obviously we'll be, we'll be back with more in-depth previews of those January matches when they, when they come about. But uh, yeah, that's sort of, I think, at least for me, that, that empties the notebook for now. Yeah, I just think it'll be interesting to, to keep an eye on the team ahead of then. I think just because you're Canada... For example, Richie Larea, a Mark, uh, not Mark, I think Richie Larea, though. Uh, there's a few more. Kamal Miller, uh, Jonathan Azoria. Those guys won't be playing between now and those games, barring a transfer. So I guess fingers crossed that they find a transfer to Europe to, to get playing. If not, it's going to be very interesting to see what sort of January camp is held to get those guys fit. Otherwise, I uh, just keep an eye out some some new names. Maybe this will be the first Daniel Jebison camp. Maybe this will, you know, I don't think we'll see Ferdy Cadiaglu this camp. It just, it, it's too early. Like we kind of mentioned, his timeline will probably be till March. But guys like a Daniel Jebison, maybe heck, we'll see a guy like a Lucas Diash come out of come out of nowhere and some new faces. So it's a Glor Amanda if he starts bagging some goals over in Austria or a Stefan Mitrovic. So this camp's going to be very fun. We'll, we'll maybe talk about that in the future. We will. We've already stretched this one out a bit, a bit long, so we won't dive into all those hypothetical names, but I'll just say, keep an eye on all those dual nationals just because this January camp might open the, the door for them. Otherwise just shout out to Canada. Now they're 40th in the men's rankings, their highest ranking ever tied uh, for their highest ranking ever. The, they're on the cusp of the, the, I think realistically, if there were a few good games stand out the octa, they could go as high as the mid to, to, to high thirties, uh, which is just ridiculous to think about considering where they were at the beginning of this year, which was 77th. Uh, so, so shout out to Canada for, for, for that, that obviously the higher they go, the better it is to stay in the top 50 for the UK work permit, you know, reasons, which will open doors for more Canadians, but also just in terms of notoriety, the higher you push it, the better it is for your, your overall profile teams you know if you're say if you're you're for for Ferdi Kadioglu for example if he's looking and you know a year ago he's looking oh I don't want to go to an 80th ranked Canada well all of a sudden he's like oh shoot Canada's very close to Turkey in the rankings they're not that far behind the Netherlands okay maybe it is worth it for me to pledge my my future to to Canada so it's 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 useless and you know ancient the idea of FIFA rankings are just because they're not done properly you know they're still very important it's good that canada's pushed up and hey if you're more of a, of a someone who wants to know where canada truly stands just look at the elo ratings i think canada's up to like 30th right now so if you really want to feel good about you about you know watching canada you can just look at those well you ask those potential national team players right do you, you know you got can play against the Cayman Islands or the Bahamas you know at IMG Academy in Florida on a, on a training pitch or you can play against 
45, 50,000, uh, you know, screaming fans against Mexico and, and come out with a result. Uh, things have changed a lot over the course of this year. So I, I can understand how the, you know, the feeling might be a little bit different around uh, those potential suitors than it was early in the calendar year. But uh, talking about a team that's a lot different than it was earlier in the calendar year, the women's national team is at quiet times overall. There was some excitement about potential matches at BC Place, but uh, Alex, you just were on a call with head coach Bev Priestman, and they, they had some challenges setting up a team to play for those friendlies. So now they're looking at sort of this this exhibition camp friendly match situation with the with the Mexican national team where they'll they'll get a little bit of a, a little bit of playing time here, a little bit of a, you know, experience under their belts. Um, just, you know, general thoughts coming off that call and the the little setup they have for themselves over the the coming week here. Yeah, I mean, it's just good to have them playing. I think that's the the main thing. They got the September window off kind of after the Olympics was a long, grueling year for a lot of players. But then they came back with in October with the bang, uh, the the games that the games against New Zealand at Saputo Stadium and uh, and uh, TD Place in Ottawa was great. You wondered, okay, they're going to bring these games out west. Maybe a game in Vancouver, maybe a game in say in Edmonton, as as, as ridiculous as that it would be now, but you know, just get those get those games in. It would it would have been nice, but. Sounds like Canada, they, they had it set up. They tried to book an opponent, but due to vaccine requirements uh, from the, you know, it just, it wasn't worth it to apply for an exemption just for, for some friendly games. So as it it nice would be to have a celebration tour, I think Canada deserves one. Um, it's just right now with, with UEFA teams being in World Cup qualifiers, with this window also being a type two window, with some tournaments for some big South American pardon me, South American and African teams. It just didn't make sense. So it's, it's unfortunate, but Canada gets a good chance to travel to Mexico, gets to get, you know, get some games under their belt. And this is going to be an interesting camp. I mean, already we saw Janine Becky and, and, and uh, Jade Riviere ruled out as, as well as Gabby Carl. And uh, pardon me, I'll have to refresh my memory. I don't know why I blanked on the, the fourth name on, on that list, but uh you know, Canada was already missing four key regulars from their Olympic team today. Uh, some more joined that list uh, with, with you no know, uh, Ashley Lawrence, Stephanie LeBay, and Shalina Zadorsky uh, due to medical reasons. I'm just going to confirm on the fourth player that I missed because I don't know how that, that slipped my mind. But it's going to be an experimental camp. There's 20, uh, there was 26 players called in before the three uh, drops. So they're up. It's a 25 player squad. Now, a lot of them, some college players that we haven't seen in a while, some players playing in Europe. We haven't seen in a while. Uh, that sounds like according to Bev Priestman, she's going to play those, those players, play them significant minutes, really get a handle on, on where her squad is. And that's huge because Canada has world cup qualifiers coming up in the summer of 2022. Obviously, with, with how the format works there, it's going to be pretty easy for them say to, to, to navigate. Not, it's not going to be, it's not going to be too easy. It's still, it's still going to be pretty hard, but I think uh, three and a half teams or four teams make it. They, they're, they are pretty assured, but they still, they, they're going to have to be careful. And I think the one big thing they've talked a lot about of is they don't want to be complacent. Yes. They want a gold medal. They're top of the world, but they want to win the world cup. That's the, the main goal. You want to be a world cup champion so to do that, you're going to have to root out complacency. That means competitive camps. That means bringing in new players. And I think this this camp is 
is is going to be about all, uh, that for 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 Canada. Yeah, I mean, I think in in that sense, having some of the regulars out is not necessarily such a bad thing. Because okay, what do you what do you bring up the priest and have to say? avoiding that complacency right the best way to do that is with internal competition the best way to do that is by getting some of these players who overall would be lower down the pecking order or just haven't been in the national team recently getting them some experience getting them into at least quasi competitive matches so i think that's what i'm excited to track some of the names that we haven't seen in a while or haven't seen at all um, how are they going to perform? You know, are they able to to push for some more minutes and and just create that sort of critical mass of players um, and and building up that depth again? Because you know a lot of things that it was a magical run during the summer and and a fantastic story. But this women's team, I think, still has you know to be a sort of the perennial top five, top three women's program globally again there's there's still a bit of work to be done to to be at that kind of level consistency um at that kind of level consistent consistently pardon me and and one of the ways that you have to do that is by building like a really deep competitive group of players and so i'm excited to watch that this window uh, hopefully the Hopefully the Facebook streams are all right, and we we get some decent coverage at the at the training facility in Mexico. I know I know how dodgy and and subpar some of those Facebook streams can be. So uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully it's enjoyable to watch. Uh, hopefully we get to see uh, see some new players shine and and gain a bit of experience. And uh, it's a bit of a waiting game, but uh, yeah, excited to have have more uh, women's stuff to cover. And obviously it would have been doesn't affect me because i'm not in vancouver anymore but would have been tremendous for that i would work. love to go to those yeah if, if they could have had and you know it's supposed to be this celebration tour it's supposed to be coming to different markets right so it would have been would have been fantastic if that had been the case but uh well you know because alex and i are our footy junkies will be we'll be watching the stream intently so uh, we won't be missing out but maybe some people some people in vancouver might might be missing out on that which i think is a bit of a shame yeah, no, I mean it's 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 really too bad, but it's it's good that Canada's playing. I think one thing they'll they'll need to they'll want to do ahead of the World Cup is build up kind of a 28, 30 player pool. Well, cause, because sorry to sorry to interrupt, but so oh, many bro, of these sure. rosters, whether it be Olympics or even friendlies before the Olympics, she believes cup, whatnot, they were all super small rosters, like 18, 20, 23. You haven't like the opportunity even for for women to come and be in camp hasn't been as as huge as you would have liked, right? So now to you know to expand that out to thirty and make it really competitive is, you know, it requires a bit of work. And also uh, maybe we'll say something too about bringing in a new assistant coach as well. But I'll kind of you can transition to that afterwards. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I mean, yeah, just looking at the roster. I mean, I think well, Priestman had a 30-play roster. I think her last camp before the Olympics, so she isn't new to this. But the big difference is, back then, a bunch of those players didn't play. I think my favorite example is someone I'm keeping an eye on this camp, Chloe Lacasse, who just has been scoring for fun in Benfica, scored in the Champions League recently. She's been in absurd form for like three years now. Yet she earned several call-ups in this year and just didn't get to see the field and. You don't. You can't blame Priestman just because she had no time to prepare, and she just kind of found a core group of players, figured out who, what kind of the best lineups were, went from there. 
But now that, okay, all of a sudden the door is opening, especially this camp with all these injuries. Cause I kind of asked her about it today. Actually, I was like, I most specifically asked at the, for the right back position, just because Canada's missing Ashley Lawrence choice. Number one, Jade Revere choice. Number two, Janine Becky choice. Number three. Okay. What are you going to do at right back? You have no natural right back. She says, you know what? That is, is as wild as that sounds. That's a blessing. I get to try something new. I get to learn more about my roster. And I think we're going to see a lot of that all over the pitch. This camp for Canada, figure out, okay, who are some of these players that can play a role for 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 us going forward and 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 digging into the depth okay seeing canna chloe lacasse prove in a game that that she deserves a shot up front or you know instead of just training like before and you look at some of the names uh just you know from from the original list like okay can a sabrina d'angelo maybe get give another shot in, in goal can you know surieka you've called her in for the first time in in, in nearly a half decade can she you know, she's a fullback and she's been doing well over in France or Marie Levasseur. And there's just so many, uh, you know, players like that in this camp that it's going to be intriguing to, to, to not only see them because we've seen players like that in the, in the camp over this year, but actually maybe see them even play and, 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 and judge what they're, they're, they're able to do. And that's huge because the one thing with the Olympics that, that kind of messed things up is, and it's why Priestman prepared as she did, she originally was only allowed to pick 18 players, including two goalkeepers. So she had to keep it tight knit. She had to keep a, a more of a group. She got, you know, she and all the other managers in the world, I don't know why it took so long to change, but they got lucky by the fact that it got expanded to a 22 player squad. They were able to have a bit of a more of a normal squad, but now for this world cup uh, for qualifiers, it's going to be at least 23. And it sounds like FIFA is just is laxed rules uh you know like for example the gold cup or and tournaments this summer that you're allowed 26 27 players if that's the case all of a sudden for canada that's a bunch of players you need to find to to, to fill those spots so it's going to be interesting to see who they who they find just because they have such interesting uh players so that, that's for me the main thing to watch the competition and I'll, I'll shout out, you know, representing BC and, and, and the Whitecaps Academy as always, you know, both obviously Julia Grosso had that huge moment um, in the Olympics, but really overall, you know, didn't, hadn't played a ton and didn't even play a ton necessarily at the Olympics. And I think Jordan Hoytema overall was kind of disappointing or hasn't been, you know, playing up to necessarily the level she might be even expecting of herself. So those two will have a big opportunity at this camp and, and moving forward with a bit more of an expanded squad to try to cement their place as, as core pieces moving forward too. So that'll be exciting to, to watch those dynamics as play. Cause you know, always gotta, gotta cheer on the, the white caps Academy grads. Of course. I mean, shout out as always to, to BC. I mean, hopefully Julia Grossman gets some minutes here. She, you know, as you as you mentioned at the Olympics, she did have that one start against Chile, but otherwise, you know, it's, it's always going to be tough sledding as, as a twenty year old in your first Olympics. And she's bagging a ton of goals for Texas. Oh, so she's she's been in ridiculous form for for Texas. I mean, Hoytema as well has been in pretty good yeah. form for PSG, starting to bag some goals. Obviously, she had that Champions League hat trick a while ago. Just want to Hopefully. see that. Want to see that carry over to especially Hoytema. I want to see it carry over to Canada a little bit more. Yeah, no, exactly. So it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, you still got your usual suspects here at this camp. You got your Christine Sinclairs. You got your 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 Jesse Flemings. Now, I guess you, you you could say you got your you know you're just going down the roster. You 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 got your Quins, your Kadisha Buchanan's. But at the same time, it's going to be interesting. You you got no Stephanie LeBay in goal. All of a sudden, you can 
that opens the door for Kalen Sheridan and a Sabrina D'Angelo. You, 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 you're missing all your fullbacks. It opens the door at fullback. Yeah. You know, you're missing Shalina Zadorsky. So all of a sudden that opens a door for like a Jade Rose at, at center back, the 18 year old from Harvard, who's been doing very well for Harvard and had a good shift this year at She Believes Cup. Like you look over, there's a lot of interesting roster discussions. So it's going to be a fun camp for that. I think Canada, like you said, the, this is the, this is the start of their journey for the world cup. It really feels like, so it, this is always, these are the fun games, the, the getting stuck out in the weeds, the Facebook streams, you know, this is, this is where it all begins. I think if you look at the, if you're, if you're going to parallel the, the Canon and run of the world cup they're on right now, feels wild to think that yes, even though they just played Mexico in front of 45,000, this journey technically started with, with them playing, against no one in, in a high school in, in, well, I guess in an empty Orlando stadium, first of all, but then in an empty high school against the Cayman Islands, or if you're even going to go further back, an empty stadium in California against Bermuda last year when they are trying, or not Bermuda, against Barbados when they are trying to get FIFA points or, so you know, out in the weeds. So while, while it might seem a little out there right now that Canada is going to be playing in Mexico's training center on a Facebook stream, these are the games that we will remember when, uh, you know, they're playing hopefully World Cup qualifiers knock on wood this summer in Canada, should they be able to host, if not in front of packed houses in the U.S. and then at the World Cup itself in 2023. You won't think about it then, but these are the games that you'll, you'll look back fondly as part of the journey. Yeah, overall, the, the 2022 uh, Canadian soccer calendar looks very exciting. There's a, there's a lot of big dates. There's a lot of, you know, I- important matches that that you're going to want to circle on the calendar and, and a lot within both these teams to be tremendously excited about, whether that's, you know, recent success or potential for even greater future success. I think there's, yeah, there's so many great stories still to be told. So uh, yeah, thanks everyone for, for diving into Canadian soccer with us. Hopefully you enjoyed the, the last couple of matches from that, that Edmonton window and are, are excited for, for what the future holds as much as we are. So uh, yeah, without further ado, uh, any, any final thoughts, Alex? I think we've, we've covered it quite in, intensively. I mean, this is a, a typical third sub episode. We, we went into it, but hope you guys seem to seem to like these sea sorts episodes. Hopefully for those who did stick around with us, thanks for getting stuck into Canadian soccer with us. We've got, as always, I mean, just looking, it, it never stops, really. We got so much on the horizon. We got CPL finals uh, coming up, but we still have the CPL playoffs to talk about in, in our next episode. We got white caps. Obviously, their their playoffs uh, just happened. We have to break that down. We got offseason coming up, which is always fun. We got, you know, these women's games also to break down after after the fact. You got Canamens national team in January with these games and obviously probably a January camp. And then you just look into 2022 and your eyes can only, you know, I think next year there's obviously, you know, World Cup qualifiers on the men's side, Nations League on the men's side as well, and the World Cup itself. And then on the women's side, you got, uh, you, you got the World Cup qualifiers, you got some friendlies. And then there's a bunch of youth tournaments. There's U20 and U17 tournaments at men's and women's level. There's just so much soccer coming up and it's going to be a blast to, to break it all down. So... Thanks to all of those who joined us today for a bit of a more of a national team-centered catch-up. As always, I'm uh, your co-host, Alexander Gungaruzic. You can find me on Twitter at Alex Gungaruzic, at BTSFancity, BTSFancity.com, and at my all things CanMNT and CanWNT newsletter. Uh, 
destroyandprogress.substack.com. But uh, on that note, I'll throw it over to Sam to, to close out the show. Hey, you can find me, as always, at Samuel underscore Rowboat on Twitter at 86forever.com. You can find our show at Third Sub Pod on Twitter at The Third Sub on Instagram. Uh, yeah, and that's that's all from us. We'll be back again soon with Caps coverage, CPL, um, more Canada stuff. So uh, stay tuned for that, and uh, we'll chat again soon.